Today, we're talking to Peter Smith, a seven-year myeloma survivor, accomplished educator, author, and now prolific painter. Peter, I understand you were diagnosed with multiple myeloma in 2014. If you can recall, what was that like for you when you were first diagnosed, if you could share that with our listeners? When I was first diagnosed, the whole thing was kind of dramatic. I had a compound fracture of my femur, and uh, luckily, my wife was there to get me to the hospital or get the rescue squad, and the surgeon said, there's something funny going on, and his associate discovered I had multiple myeloma. Well, (laughs) I had never heard of the weird disease. At first, I was quite shocked, and I was told at that time that uh, I had five years to live, which was a a little bit unnerving because I had never heard of multiple myeloma. I thought, what is this? What's strange? I finally found out that uh, there was a support group in Santa Fe run by Dr. John DeFleece and Susan Benjamin. And there I discovered I was not alone, that there were other people who had this. So that was really a great support and comfort in in its way. And I've had excellent medical care ever since. But the initial shock and being told at that time that I had five years to live was, (laughs) to say the least, unnerving. I don't think at that time, it just was not something you heard much about. Of course, there's been a lot more research and, and people who are rather well known have been have been recognized as having the same condition. You really have beat the odds of what they've told you when you were first diagnosed. What type of treatments did you undergo after that diagnosis? If you can kind of recount for us any that you want to touch on to maybe any treatment that you are on currently. I began getting uh, chemo. Uh, I've had Velcade and Pomalist and Revlimid for a short time. And I reacted well to the treatment. And all those blood test scores have been really very stable. And and I have had very, very little reaction to any uh, other treatment. So I've been lucky in many ways. I was too old, of course, when I was diagnosed at that time for a stem cell transplant because at the time I was diagnosed, 79 was the limit. Uh, I know that's changed somewhat depending on the patient, but I don't know if I would want to go through the stem cell uh, transplant. There were also one of the doctors said to me, I shouldn't live my condition. I shouldn't live multiple myeloma. I had lots of other things to do, traveling at that time and painting and uh, and doing some adult teaching and so on. So, But I would say that uh, painting was the thing that I found the most helpful to uh, have the right attitude. And, and uh, also, I have to say, Thank heavens I've got my wife who's given me all kinds of support and care. Valerie Trainum was another patient that we interviewed, and she said, we are not our disease. And that's essentially what the doctor sounds like he was recommending for you, and you've very much 
from what I understand, follow through on that in living your life and just living well, despite having to live with this condition. Just for people to get some background about you, I know that you're retired now. What did you used to do professionally? I started off as a public school art teacher, and and I've always had some connection with art. At one point, I decided, hey, look, I've been an art teacher in the public school, fine, had a really fun career there in many ways, but it's about time I move on and, and in my education, and I ended up by going at, eventually to get my doctorate, and, and then I began teaching at, in the university level. <laughs> my first job, which I got with some surprise, was at Purdue University. Which I think we talked earlier, I gra- I'm a graduate of Purdue University, so that was interesting. Yeah, well, yeah, and, I had a, and I had a wonderful time there, too. It had a great department. And, I, you know, Purdue, of course, as you know, is known best for engineering and, and for astronauts. And I think, wasn't it Neil Armstrong who was the first guy to walk on the moon and and he went to Purdue. Right. But Purdue was a really well-run university when I was there. I discovered after a while that one of the best teachers I ever had was they became a really well-known color field painter. His name was Jules Olitsky. Had, during the Second World War, gone to Purdue for a special program, which was supposed to be uh, training GIs in math and so on. Now, why they picked him and why he ended up at Purdue, I'm not quite sure, but he was there. And that, But anyway, he wrote me and told me that. And uh, so that added a little color to my, my uh, when I first went to Purdue. And... Uh, uh, Purdue had, uh, as I said, it had a really nice art department, and uh, and I certainly enjoyed it. What what did you study there? <laughs> I studied theater and creative writing. Also, an arts student in an engineering school. <laughs> <laughs> this, you know, that is, is so funny. We were housed in the worst looking. I remember the creative arts, the creative arts buildings. They were like army barracks. Yes. Leftover from the uh, Second World War. Uh, (laughs) And uh, but it it really got me going in higher ed. I did a lot of, uh, of course, scholarly writing because it was. Uh, publisher parish in those days. And you've also written a book. I understood you wrote a whole book. Uh, could you tell us a little bit about that? The book was called The History of American Art Education. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was published. And that was a very interesting uh, <laughs> experience. My days at, at Purdue, I was writing and I was painting. And I, w- I was there for 10 years. And I... Uh, rose to the exalted rank of full professor there, uh, and uh, pretty proud of myself. That was another case of, there were I was surrounded by people who were very helpful and very supportive, and I've kept in contact with a few of them ever since. I, the only, you know, when I left there, I had sort of hit the, the ceiling, and 
there was no place I was going to advance. You know, I was already a full professor. So a job at New Mexico opened up, the University of New Mexico, and that was a little bit closer to where our son lived. He lived in California, and it was a little bit closer to where my wife's mother lived in Arizona. So, and of course, uh, New Mexico is just brimming with art. You can't throw a taco in New Mexico without hitting an artist. So that was a lure. And when we got here, and we live in the, of course, the southern reaches of the Rocky Mountains, the so-called Sandia Mountains in the high desert, and the spectacular uh, scenery was also uh, an attraction. New Mexico is a really, in many ways, an ancient land uh, with, you know, um, like the Pueblo and uh, Taos is a thousand years old. And of course, the mountains that we look at from our the backyard of our house are everlasting. Uh, they were created by upheaval how many hundreds of millions of years ago, nobody knows. So I'm sure moving out to New Mexico has given you a lot of inspiration and I understand has gotten you sort of focused more on your work as an artist and in painting. Can you talk a little bit about how that passion grew for you? One of the things as I age, I have found that painting, creating art, is one of the things that takes you away from the... Uh, the illness that uh, I discovered I had, or I, it was pointed out that I had, I became more and more engrossed by uh, painting and uh, and exhibiting the paintings. One of my inspirations for that, of course, it, which I mentioned to you before, is the Impressionist painter Claude Monet. Now, Claude, and also Claude Monet. And I were older when we did some of our major work. Uh, uh, Claude Monet, after the First World War, was 86 years old. Uh, he had uh, he didn't have multiple myeloma, but he had cataracts, which is, uh, he had operated. He was operated on for, and at that time, uh, that was a really major problem. And nowadays, that's you know, it's a little takes a day, and you come home uh, after a couple of hours, and that's it. In those days, you were totally immobilized for weeks. But the president of France went and sat by his bedside and told him he should have the operation, and he did. And this was uh, nineteen eighteen. And there was a pandemic going on. The First World War had ended, and Monet painted a series of paintings, which he gave to the French nation, in which you can still see in Paris if you go there. The famous water lilies. He was the he was a much more vigorous, robust person than I am. I'm just a little wimpy guy, and he was a, sort of a rough and tumble guy. But he painted this and he gave it to the French nation. And so, like all art, 
art, that life may be short, as the poet Horace said, a life may be short, but art is long. Nowadays, you can still see those wonderful water lily paintings. Beautiful, but very moving, too. As a myeloma patient, you've already mentioned a couple times you want to live your life regardless of having this diagnosis and living with the disease each day, but you're living your life vivaciously as a painter. What would you recommend to other myeloma patients who might be having a hard time finding an outlet like you have, who might not engage in artistic expression? Would you say that artistic expression helps you cope with your illness? And what would you tell them to maybe inspire them to write or draw or paint? You know, if you, if you have any special passion, you should certainly pursue it. The thing about painting, when you are painting, you're not thinking about your illness. Your mind goes elsewhere. You have uh, the the challenge there. Of, uh, I mean, it may seem a little bit uh, simple, you know. What Does this color look good with that color? Does that shape look good with that? But I, I imagine that uh, people who have, maybe it's carving in wood, maybe it's carpentry, maybe <laughs> maybe it's fixing cars or gardening for that matter. When you are concentrating on that, when your mind is on that, it's not on illness, it's on really living, that's good for you. And it's good for everybody around you, too. And one of the themes the International Myeloma Foundation has had, and I'm sure you're familiar with it, is the theme of resilience, which is the ability to adapt to changes and challenges. What does resilience, first of all, what does it mean to you? I, I think that uh, to be resilient is, okay, you've got this condition. Uh, of course, you should be looking around at the best uh, medical uh, treatment and doing things that are life-enhancing. Yeah, the resilience is finding life-enhancing activities and talking to people as much as you can. Of course, <laughs> the pandemic has put a little damper on socializing, but uh, if possible, that. And I have things that I'm very interested in uh, reading, and uh, I hate to admit this, that one of my favorite reading activities is reading mystery stories. See, I hate to admit that because when I was teaching, of course, you know, was reading all this, uh, all kinds of scholarly material. Frivolity is my choice right now. So, uh, mystery stories. I joined an art association, and I think that uh, you know there are uh, all kinds of associations and social situ challenges that people can get into and associate with other people. And part of my thing is uh, I love to hear myself talk. So I started giving classes for adults that are connected with art and, and history and found a, a partner who could do the technical stuff for it, you know, to show the images. So if you look around, and if you have interest, then those will help you with greater resilience. There's nothing wrong with watching television <laughs> if it's fun, <laughs> but when it becomes just sitting there looking at the 
at the idiot box, then you better look for something else to do. Well, you're certainly inspiring, I'm sure, to a lot of people in general, not just myeloma patients, that you're living your life so fully and with frivolity, as you as you mentioned. What would you say to someone who was diagnosed with myeloma and sort of got that sort of news like you did, that this is a five-year prognosis? What kind of mindset would you say to them upon learning such news? The five-year stuff, the research on multiple myeloma is going at such a rapid pace. There's something new every month. And anybody who would, who sees that Conquer magazine that my uh, they reproduced one of my paintings knows how rapid the change is in, uh, in the treatment of multiple myeloma. It's a really, if you're going to get something like that, <laughs> then you're lucky to have multiple myeloma because the research is so active. The, the only drawback is that there's still a lot of people who don't know anything about it and never heard of it. As, but as, as soon as somebody in the medical field uh, looks it up, and they all can look it up, there's all kinds of uh, things going on. And I ended up having now really good medical care uh, by people who are doing their research and who are really thinking about treatment. And as I said, I've been very lucky both at home and in the medical treatment. I've been well taken care of, maybe more than I deserve because I'm kind of dumb when I think about it. My thing is anybody who's diagnosed now, I don't think anybody will be told that they only have five years to go. Because there are people who are going, I, do, I know a guy who's going on for close to 20 years. And, and uh, so it's not a, something that's really gloomy or, or um, give, should give you the shock that I got when I first heard. Because there's lots and lots of help and lots of uh, new help and the way of uh, medication and treatment. Speaking of help, you mentioned your wife a little bit earlier. What would you say is the value of uh, having a strong support system and your relationship with, well, of course, she's your wife, but relationship with a caregiver and how to best navigate that? When I first was diagnosed, I mean, when I was, had to go to the hospital, I, thank God she was there. She got the rescue squad. And she got me to the hospital and then found the uh, I I had to go to rehab uh, because of the injury, and she found that. And then she's helped me with relationships with the doctors, too. You need somebody. You're better off if somebody is with you who uh, asks questions. That's because as a patient, sometimes you, you fixate on one particular thing, and you just don't realize the range of questions you should be asking. And, you know, a doctor can't read your mind and or can't think of absolutely everything there is to think of. So if you have someone there with you who talks to you a lot, then you may miss your opportunity to ask good questions. And that's, that's really important. 
ask good questions. Which I'm sure that's uh, one of the things that you hear a lot about at the support group. I know they talk about advocating for yourself and and they also have caregiver support at the IMF support groups. What value has the support group experience brought to you? <laughs> I mean, some of it's a little bit on the silly side. When I, when I first became acquainted with the report group, uh, I thought, oh my God, I'm not alone. <laughs> there are other people with a strange illness. At other times, I've thought, oh, I thought, oh, wow, they're a lot worse off than I am. It's always good to know people who are in the same boat you are and who uh, give, you know, a different reflection on their on experience and tell you things that otherwise you'd never hear. It may, they may be odd things, like uh, one of the support group people has a problem with uh, neuropathy and he can't wear socks. So he, he shows up at meetings in the middle of winter wearing sandals. Don't ask me why that helps. I don't know. But it, it's interesting. You know, he's, so you see these people, many of them are, well, they're very different from me. Uh, the support group happens to have a number of scientists because it's in Santa Fe, which is near Los Alamos, you know, which is teaming with scientists. And, so, and they're very different. I don't think I ever stayed awake during science class. So, And they're so knowledgeable. Sometimes things come up in the support group where somebody can explain something that otherwise I'd never hear about. It's just very good to meet people who are having somewhat the same experience you are, but a little different. It just gives you a broader, deeper sense of uh, of your experience. Finally, I was wondering, is there a way that people can see your artwork um, I know it was in Conquer Magazine, but is there any exhibits or any place that you show or display your art? Well, I belong to a, a little art association, so and shows that I find venues to show the artwork in. I, I used to show a lot more than I did, but the art market during the pandemic has uh, pretty badly uh, been damaged, but it'll come back. But uh, the one thing I, I well, this is my age, not the multiple myeloma. I used to trudge the streets of Santa Fe uh, to find galleries, and uh, in fact, I did. I had a gallery there for a while. I showed artwork, but the combination of the economy and so on did that gallery in. So now it's dependent on on the the uh, art association to find the venues, which they do, and it's always fun, and you know, it sells once in a while, so I'm content uh, with that. I have, I have not gone to uh, having a, uh, an email. Uh, I'm a little bit leery of that, and, and every once in a while, somebody contacts me and says, could we look at your artwork at the end of you know, we'll make an appointment and they can uh, come and look at it. And, oh, <laughs> this is a, really, a rather strange thing. I became reacquainted with, the, with a fellow who uh, 
who lives here in Albuquerque, he and his wife. Years ago, he had purchased some paintings by me, which were on the theme of Jacob and his sons, Jacob and the Bible and his son. And we, as I said, we became reacquainted. And then one day he said that, would I be interested in their being shown at a congregation, Albert, which is a big synagogue in Albuquerque. Oh, well, sure. So he came. We had a really wonderful time talking about uh, what he had seen of my artwork, uh, he and his wife. And he took some more of these uh, from the series, Jacob and His Son. He has arranged uh, with the synagogue. And sometime, when the pandemic dies down a little bit, they'll have uh, a reception featuring all these paintings they have. Now they have 12 of them. Look forward to that. Imagine how that will inflate my ego. <laughs> every every year for the past, uh, oh, I think, four years, I've shown paintings at the Norbertine Abbey, which is south of Albuquerque. Wonderful place with these really uh, striking buildings and things. But so, you know, I, I look around for venues and I, as I say, I belong to this little art association that, that uh, looks for venues. So I have to be realistic. You know, I can't trudge the streets of Santa Fe anymore. But as I say, that's age. It's not illness. It's, and maybe it's laziness, too. I don't know. But I did that, have seen that, and experiencing different ways of showing my artwork. That's fantastic, and it's uh, so great to listen to you and the inspiration you're providing. Um, we wish you happy painting, and I'm just going to wrap up here. I'm just wondering, is there anything else you'd like to share for the audience who's listening, mostly myeloma patients and caregivers? Besides the things I've made and done, I think that people who have a condition like multiple myeloma are really lucky if they have someone to share with, a spouse, a partner, a lifelong friend who can listen to them and watch them and be with them if they have moments of doubt or crisis. That's a wonderful gift, and I hope everybody, everyone can have that gift. In my case, it's my wife. Other people may find other sources of support and help. Well, that's wonderful to hear. And what is your wife's name? My wife's name is Mary Lou. Mary Lou. We wish you all the best, Peter and Mary Lou, and thank you so much for your time today. You've been listening to A Day in the Life podcast brought to you by the International Myeloma Foundation. To learn more about myeloma and the IMF, visit us at myeloma.org.